What's up, guys? My name is Sam, and I'm the creator and host of Creme de la Crime podcast. The mission of this show is to bring awareness to unsolved missing persons cases from all across the country. In the United States, 600,000 adults and children are reported missing every single year. Although most are quickly found, there are still tens of thousands that remain missing for more than one year. As of 2022, there are still more than 17,000 unsolved missing persons cases and 13,000 unidentified body cases across the United States that remain open. For the first year, I'm going alphabetical order by state and talking about cases involving all ages, races, and backgrounds. Don't forget to subscribe and join me every single Thursday to hopefully help bring these people home. Welcome back to episode 26. You just heard from our good friend Sam over at Creme de la Crime. We love her. We love her so much. She's a really talented podcaster who you already heard her concept, but focuses mainly on people who are missing currently in the United States. And besides, she's just a damn nice person. She's awesome. We love her to death. She's just sweet. (laughs) So go do yourself a favor and follow her. I am Beth. And I'm Bailey. And we are True Crime B&B. Yep. Episode 26. That's crazy. We're getting up there. Yes. All right. Are you the bad guy this week? Yep. Without further ado, I'll go ahead and just dive right in. I'm interested to hear if you have heard of this, so I'll just tell you kind of the what it's known as okay. first. All right. Are you aware of the Penn State Murder in the Stacks? Penn State Murder in the Stacks. I don't think that that rings a bell. Okay. Because I hadn't heard of it, but it seems like anybody who goes to Penn State probably has. <laughs> when, did, when did it happen? 1969, so it's oh, a little no. before your time there yeah, to that, know about this, but... Yeah, I was three. Yeah. <laughs> you were that heavily into True Crime at three. <laughs> Slightly, but... I'll tell you about that then. Awesome. So we will start out in Holland, Michigan, where Elizabeth Ruth Ardsma was born July 11th, 1947. She attended Holland High School, and then... And she grew up in a very religious and conservative household, which is typical for the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And they were very middle class. And her dad just had a government job. He was an auditor for the state. And then a mother <laughs> was a stay-at-home mom. Okay. So as she got into her teenage years, Elizabeth, but she went by Betsy, she started realizing she didn't have the same beliefs that her parents did as far as religion and being conservative and all that goes. And she kind of went into a more... I don't want to say rebellious because she was still very by the book and studious type of person, but she was more of a feminist. She was more into Mm -hmm. liberal ideations than was normal in her town. Right, okay. So she decided she had a passion for helping out those in need, the underprivileged people, people of different races, people who were poor type of thing. And she decided she wanted to go and be a physician and eventually go into the Peace Corps. Wow. So she came out very open-minded. Very open-minded. And very ambitious. Mm Mm-hmm. And just really awesome. Absolutely beautiful as well. So I'll show you pictures later. Wow. Okay. After she graduated from high school with honors, she attended Hope College, which is also in Holland, Michigan, starting in 1965. She only did two years there and then transferred over to the University of Michigan in 1967, where she ended up meeting her boyfriend, David Wright, who was a medical student there. So he's a couple years older, like a graduate student, but she was finishing up her time there at the University of Michigan. Okay. She graduated with her Bachelor of Arts in 1969. 
She majored in both English and art. And then after that, she wanted to join the Peace Corps because that had been her goal since she was a teenager. However, things were getting really serious with her medical student boyfriend, David, and he wasn't down with the whole long distance thing. He said, if you go away, I can't promise that we're going to stay together. Something might happen. I'm busy all the time now. So how is she going to become a doctor if she studied the arts? Well, she got a undergrad. It was like a bachelor of science Bachelor of Arts in Science. So she was going to go to graduate school with that bachelor. So anyway, maybe she it was maybe probably, she had changed her mind by the time she Well, got yeah, because the physician thing, when wanted to join the Peace Corps, that all started when she was in high school. So by the time she actually got to college, she probably was like, oh, now there's this whole world of things that I didn't know I didn't Right, there's have. a whole lot of humanities out there, too. Yeah. Got it. Because her boyfriend didn't want her to leave, and they were kind of, at this point, had been together for a little over a year, and were talking about getting engaged once she started graduate school, she decided that she would follow him to where he was now going, which was Pennsylvania State University, which is better known in the U.S. as Penn State. Mm-hmm. He would be going to the Hershey campus, where I guess they focus heavily on medical stuff. Okay. And then she would be going to the main campus. Still far apart, but... It's pretty far apart, but they would spend all weekends it's together. It's not Pennsylvania to Michigan. Right, yeah. It's a <laughs> lot closer than the Peace Corps over in whatever country she had got shipped <laughs> okay. off to. Fair enough. <laughs> October 1969, she officially enrolled at Penn State and was living in Atherton Hall with a roommate named Sharon Brandt. Sharon said that they were close because obviously they're living together, so they did spend a lot of time together. But she kind of noted that Betsy was very studious, and then any time where she wasn't in school or studying, she was catching a bus out to Hershey to go see her boyfriend. And so she didn't really have any extracurriculars. She didn't have a lot of people on campus that she was more than acquaintances with. Okay. She actually ended up only going to Penn State for eight weeks. So how many friends can you really have truly made? in that time. Right. I mean, living in a dorm, though, it does kind of... It brings you closer, yeah, but she didn't really leave the dorm a lot. That's what it sounded like. Okay. Thanksgiving weekend of that year, she went to spend her Thanksgiving break with her boyfriend over in Hershey, and his friends just stayed on that campus with him. And then after that, on the 27th of November, he dropped her off at the bus stop and she made her way back to campus because she had an upcoming deadline of an English paper that was due. The next day after she got back to her dorm, November 28th, Betsy and her roommate Sharon decided to walk to the Patti Library together because they both had not the same paper, but you know, a project due and they both decided, well, we'll just go here, go our separate ways and then we'll meet back up and get dinner and go hang out together afterwards because it's a Friday. Right. So they go to the library and then they say, okay, meet me back at this time. Well, they decide what movie they're going to go see and then they split up. Before going inside the library, Betsy stopped to speak to her professor, the one that had the paper due the following week, and just asked him a couple of questions and that was about four o'clock in the afternoon. And then she announced to him that she was headed to the library to go study in the stacks. On the way into the library, she also passed by two other people that were in her classes and just chit-chatted with them for a moment. And then once inside of the library, she put all of her belongings onto one of those desks, you know, the ones with the partitions in between. Yeah, they call them carols. Carols, yes, that's the word. So she threw all of her stuff on there, including her purse, her notebook that she brought that day, and then her coat and just left and went to the stacks. By 4.30, she'd found the section that she needed to be in, and she was studiously studying away and trying to find the books that she was looking for in... I don't really know how stacks work. I've never done that in the libraries because it's all digital when I went to college, so you don't really have to... But is there, like, a reference book you have to look up? They came from the card catalog, and they were all... It's the big cabinet with all the little tiny drawers. 
mm-hmm. and you can find them based on the subject matter, the author, or the title, I think. Okay. So it's a lot more organized than it probably is now. Oh, yeah. But... It, it's very organized, and I couldn't sit there and explain exactly how mm-hmm. it works, but I remember using it. Well, this just seems like... I've seen the pictures of this place, and it looks super dungeon-y to me. <laughs> like, they are. Because they're all, like, underground, and it's layers and layers of really tight, close-knit A lot of times they build shelves. them up instead of underground, but they still mm-hmm. are very closed. And they're, yeah. you know, a lot of times, especially in the old libraries. But they're, they can be creepy up there, and a lot of times you're the only person up there. Yeah, it seems so there's really no one quiet. just walking by casually. It's you're up there to study. You know? Yeah, and that's what they were saying is that these were so close together shelves that you couldn't have two people, even if they were really tiny and small, pass without squishing against the shelf. So wow. it was just a very secluded area of the library. Around 4.45, another student studying there heard a loud crash coming from the stacks, which sounded like metal. Maybe one of the shelves sliding or crashing against something. Maybe a chair fell over backwards, or was it bigger than that? It was just, it was like multiple sounds. Like something had, somebody had pushed one of the shelves and then it reciprocated off of it or something, you know? Yeah. And so he heard like a big commotion happening, and then he saw a male student running from the back of the stacks past him towards the exit. So two other students that were there at the time, a woman named Marilee and a man named How. It's J-O-A-O. But yeah, so two other students, there was a female and a male that heard the commotion, saw the same exact man that was running from the back of the stacks, and that man had run up to them saying, that girl needs help, and directed them, and they kind of followed him to where the girl was laying in the stacks. Okay, so this guy actually took them back to help her. Yeah, he got these two students' attention, led them back, and then the woman, Marilee, was leaning down, and it was obviously Betsy that was on the floor, and she was just covered in books. It looked like she had just fainted. Like, nobody had any freaking clue what had happened, and it looked like she had just had a seizure or something. Okay. So the woman starts just taking her pulse and trying to do CPR to get her help, while the male watched the mysterious man that had led them back here, he noticed out of the corner of his eye, that guy was now running for the exit again, just taking off, not stopping at the librarian desk, say call for help. He just ran. So the male student starts chasing him down across campus, knowing that this might have had something to do with what happened to this poor woman. Yeah. He eventually ended up losing track of him, but he did get a good look. So he at least had a description of what he's wearing, what he looked like, about his height, stuff like that. Okay. Back at the scene... Betsy was still unconscious. They couldn't find a pulse. Nobody had any idea what was going on still. Nobody knew what had happened to her. Yeah, nobody had seen, and nobody had even heard her scream. So it really did just seem like a seizure happened, you know? Okay. She was covered with books? She was covered with books. It seemed like on her way down, she had taken the shelf with her. Like the metal shelf had come down with her. Multiple metal shelves. Okay. So that sounds plausible, and that's what the that guy she had sort of, out, Im- he sort of implied that was what happened. Right. That girl needs help, and then he just runs off, and then yeah. what else would Still you think? sounds fishy, though. Sounds fishy. Why would you run off unless you're trying to get help, but there was a librarian with a phone right there, so. Maybe you had to poop. <laughs> you really had to poop. <laughs> the description that the student that was helping Betsy got of the man was he was described as being six foot tall, brown hair, 185 pounds around that, wearing khakis and a sports jacket with a tie. They also noticed that the entire time they had interacted with this man, he had kept his right hand hidden in his pants pocket and wouldn't take it out no matter what, even as they were running back to Betsy to show them what was going on. And they were like, that's weird. It is weird. And it just didn't occur to them until afterwards that, oh, that's 
kind of strange. I didn't pick it up right away, but now that I think about it, he never pulled his right hand out of his pocket. Yeah, because they're concerned about this Right now, they're just trying to take under... in the situation. What the hell's going on? Yeah, they're so. trying to figure out what's wrong with her. Back at the scene, attempting to do CPR on Betsy, they're still not able to find a pulse, and finally paramedics respond within a few minutes. They also continue CPR until they arrive to the student health center, and at this point, Betsy's finally being seen by a physician, and they even said the paramedics that arrived on the scene and took her to the health center were student paramedics. They were still in training. They didn't really know well anything except the basic. The science of emergency medicine mm-hmm. back then was very primitive relative to what we have now. Yeah, so they if didn't she had been strangled the... or something, you wouldn't be able to know that it right was away. basically, they, they had a, a little bus that they took them to a hospital in, but they didn't have a lot that they could actually do for them. On the way, it was basically CPR, mouth-to-mouth. That's, yeah. Those were your options, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So they did the best they could, so I don't blame that at all for them. But. Right. It wasn't their fault. They just didn't know any better or have any better equipment. When she was finally at the health center, though, the physician that saw her finally discovered that Betsy had actually been stabbed in the chest. Oh, my God. And it had completely been overlooked. Because she had been wearing, it was middle of November, she'd been wearing a really thick white turtleneck sweater, and on top of that, a sleeveless red dress. So the sweater was already keeping the blood from pooling out, and then the dress on top of it, any blood that did come out, was completely unseen. It just blended. And it's dark and shadowy Mm -hmm. up in the stacks, so... They were really confused. She had been stabbed one time, but nobody had ever heard her scream. Not even yeah. once. Yeah. And so they kind of started thinking, it seems like somebody she knew did this just out of, just surprised her with this. Because otherwise, if some random guy came up to you with a knife, you would scream before he even got to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. But officially at 5.19 p.m. that day, she had been stabbed sometime around 4.45, Betsy Ardsma was pronounced dead. Oh, jeez. And she was only 22 years old at the time. Poor thing. The autopsy that was performed revealed that the knife had severed her pulmonary artery, meaning that she had been mostly bleeding internally, which it was going into her lungs instead of out of her body, which explains why there was so little blood at the scene. And why they couldn't, why mouth-to-mouth probably wouldn't be very effective. Yeah, and they said it also explains if the stab had taken her off guard, she was bleeding pretty much instantly into her lungs. She wouldn't have been able to catch enough breath in her lungs to scream. Yeah. So that does completely add up to why it was silent in the stacks. Nobody heard anything but the crash of her falling. And not everyone has the instinct to scream. Some people just go, (gasps) you know, Mm -hmm. you just catch your breath and that's it. Especially in a moment like that where it's like, you probably don't feel the pain right away. You're just like, what? What? What just happened? What just happened? Exactly. And they also, sorry, just to go back to the autopsy. They also found that there was absolutely no sign of sexual assault. None of her clothes was out of place, nothing like that. And so they didn't know what the motive was at all. There right. Was... Why do you go stab a woman in the stacks at the library? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, since everybody had assumed this was just a random medical emergency at the time, before the police could even arrive to the scene and say it was a crime scene and that she had been murdered, the librarians had told the janitors and instructed them to go oh clean God. the entire scene including any blood evidence any kind of semen that was there or anything like that no skin evidence now they vacuumed it's just like the teacher who was murdered in the bathroom yeah 
by the time the police got there, absolutely no physical evidence remained. And hundreds of students were interviewed, everybody who had been and checked into the library that day, everybody that lived around her in the dorms, all that stuff. Everybody seemed to come back with a really solid alibi. Nobody seemed to be suspicious. They even collected her diaries and the letters she had written to her boyfriend and everything. They checked him, of course. And nothing came back to her having a huge problem with anybody except for one person. Who? Tell me, tell me, tell me. I will get to in a moment. (laughs) Because I have a couple more things I forgot. (laughs) So you like to torture me as long as possible. Just like to tease it in the air a little bit. (laughs) All right. Police, even though there was no physical evidence of the actual crime having occurred, they discovered that in the row of stacks, she was found stabbed between aisle 50 and aisle 51. All right. And I don't know if that means at the end of the aisle or if that means 51 is on the right, 50 is on the left or something like that. that. But she was in between two rows, it sounds like. And then just a couple rows further back, there was a storage room where they had a bunch of spare desks that weren't being used at the time, and they were all stacked together. But when they went into that storage room, they found that a chair had been pulled back from one of the desks, looking like someone had just suddenly stood up and ran from there. And there was also a half-empty pop can still sitting there, still fizzy from that day, and multiple pornographic magazines laid out on that desk. Wow. And many of which were homosexual porn. Okay. So they kind of started to think maybe she walked into somebody who wasn't yet out and trying to keep their secret they had done this, which is totally possible. The times weren't that great to gay people. I think there's probably more masturbation in general in the stacks than you might like to think. (laughs) I actually have a quote about that. (laughs) Okay. In the Wikipedia article I read, there's a quote that says, Ample traces of semen were discovered in multiple locations on the floor, shelves, and walls, with one investigator later commenting, traces of semen were practically everywhere. It's like a hotel room. <laughs> yeah. But he did say all the samples of semen that they found were days and days old at least. So it wasn't like a recent sperm sample or whatever. Well, and they didn't have any DNA technology well, at yeah, that time Well, yeah, no, I'm anyway, just saying so it, it didn't seem been... like whoever was there was jerking off at the moment is what that means. Maybe he was just getting ready to. Right, that's true. Maybe he just didn't get there because something happened. I don't know. But mm-hmm. despite everything, they had all this. They had theories of what possibly could have happened, but the case went cold, except for one person who they just couldn't find enough to ever arrest. But he's who... To this day, never been arrested for it. It's pretty solidly decided he's the dude that did it, though. But I will just say circumstantial evidence. So, okay. Not officially, but I think he is, and a lot of people do. Okay. The most well-regarded person to have perpetrated this crime is a man named Richard Charles Hafner. He, at the time, was a 25-year-old graduate student who lived in the dorms right next to Betsy's dorm. Okay. He and Betsy at the time had formed a friendship, not like a super solid friendship. She'd only been there for eight weeks, but they'd been friendly and had gone out and hung out a couple of times until he got really intense and really started trying to pursue her romantically. And at that point, she kind of put her foot down and said, I have a long-term boyfriend. This isn't going to work. If you're going to keep being weird and creepy, we're not going to be friends anymore. Right. And he didn't like that. He kept coming to her dorm, showing up weird hours of the night. And Betsy didn't really tell anybody about this. 
But her roommate, Sharon, the day after she was murdered, went to the police immediately and said, you need to talk to this guy because he's been acting not right with her. Right. It's the same old story. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want the friend zone and therefore she's going to do what he wants or he's going to have to put her in well, her place. The thing is, Richard Charles Hefner, this guy, he was a gay man. He was just looking for somebody to be his... Beard? He was looking for basically a beard so that his sexuality wouldn't be revealed. And he was really well respected. He was a graduate student. He actually went on to become the geology professor at Penn State for a long time there. Wow. And so it makes sense, but also he went about it in very erratic ways where he was, even before he allegedly murdered Betsy, he had, in 1968, so the year prior, he had professed his love to some girl who lived in another state. He'd only met her twice. And then in the middle of the night, one night, he shows up, it was in Maryland or something like that, from Pennsylvania, drives all the way to Maryland, It shows up at her doorstep, And professes his love and that he wants to marry her. And she called the police. Well, I think that there were a lot of men, especially in those times, Mm -hmm. in days gone by when they probably really were trying Mm -hmm. to feel that way. Yeah, to be straight. Yeah, just trying to fit into what the world expected. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thinking, I'll fake it till I get there. Yeah. I'll learn to feel that way about her. I mean, there were so many people who, until like the 90s, early 2000s, were married to a woman, had multiple children with that woman. You know? It's, yeah. So it's not unheard of, but he was just not the best at doing it. <laughs> well, because he was so conflicted. <clears throat> he was so conflicted. He clearly was going through some stuff emotionally at the time. And he knew he was attracted to men or he wouldn't have been buying the magazines. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the world just put him in an uncomfortable place. Put him in an uncomfortable place, and unfortunately it seems like he took it out on Betsy. Yeah, it sounds that way. On top of that information about how he'd been acting leading up until the day that she died, the two people that had seen the strange man leading them to Betsy's body in the library had made a composite sketch. Yes. And... After this was released, it was never released to the public, but after they got Hefner's name, not only did a lot of people think the composite sketch matched this guy, he also was known to be wearing always, all the time, only ever wore khakis and a sports coat. And a tie. And a tie. And he had the exact same glasses that the guy had run out of the library been seen wearing. So just a lot of it, I don't know, it's very on point. After the police spoke to him, he stated that he had been eating at the dining hall on campus the next day when he finally got the news that someone had been murdered in the library. He had no idea until, like, the next day. Hmm. Years later, one of his friends named Lauren, who is a male Lauren, came forward and told the police that actually this guy Richard was not in the dining hall eating when he found out because literally at about 6 o'clock, Remember, she was pronounced dead at 5.19 that day. Right. At 6 o'clock, Richard showed up to his friend's house on his doorstep and said, Oh my God, did you hear the girl I used to date just got murdered in the library? Used to date. Yeah, he said used to date as in they'd gone on a few dates. Sure, maybe. They'd hung out a couple times if he considered Well, she it didn't that. consider them a date. I know, date. yeah, she definitely didn't. But he said the girl I used to date just got murdered in the library when at 6 o'clock... Her name hadn't even been released yet. Nobody knew that it was murder. Everybody at 6 o'clock, other than the hospital staff, still thought that she had had a seizure and passed out in the library. Right. So the fact that he would even have that information is very damning. Wow. But again, this friend did not come forward until like 2000-ish. So this is all... (sighs) 
kind of eh. choices people make the right ones <laughs> good grief Richard also was arrested in 1975 for two separate molestation charges against two different 12-year-old boys who had worked for him. But after the trial, they didn't have any proof other than their testimony, and there was a hung jury, and he was completely exonerated. Of course he was. So, never got that on his record. Poor kids. After all that, we don't, again, we don't know it was him for certain with all the other predatory shit he was doing. Yeah. It wouldn't shock me that he did this. It would be hard to just write him off as a candidate for this because and he... nobody else had any reason to do this to her. Right. Well, I mean, is the theory that he followed her there? Is the theory that he just ran across her there by accident? The theory is... Or that she walked in on him by coincidence? The and... theory is, yeah, that he had been doing all this stuff. Now she's not only rejected him, scorned him, told him to leave her alone... Now she knows he's gay. And now she walks in on him jerking off to a gay magazine. Now he's pissed. You know what I mean? Well, now he knows that, oh, God, she's not going to just drop that. And she's definitely not going to date me now. People are going to find out now. Mm Mm-hmm. And at that time, that would be one of the worst things that could happen to him. Yeah, especially if you were going to go on to be like a prestigious university professor. Yeah, it's horrible that people have ever been treated that way and still sometimes are, but... But it's just so sad that he couldn't take two seconds. Clearly, Betsy was a very liberal person. She didn't give a shit. She, if he had... Pulled her aside, she seems like the exact type of person to be like, your secret's safe with me. You know what? Yeah, be who you are. Let me help you find a beard if that's what you desperately need. I can help you with that, and everybody can be in the open. Let the quote-unquote beard in on it, too. Right, that's what I'm saying. Everybody out in the open (laughs) about this. Let's not foist him upon somebody who is not suspecting that. Yeah, it just seems like such a waste Yeah, and she sounds like she was a really good, nice person. Mm -hmm. Really ahead of her time, for sure. Some little closure to the story. Betsy was buried in Holland, Michigan with her family. And in March of 2002, Richard Hefner died by a sudden tear in his aorta, which caused him to also drown in his own blood. Interesting. Which is really ironic if that is is in fact the person who did this to her. That is really A little karma action. Yeah. But... Wow. Just kind of bizarre, because that can't be that usual. Yeah. Your aorta just suddenly just bursts and now you're drowning in your lungs. A literal case of what comes around goes around. Yeah. Just, I'd never heard of it, and... I hadn't either. Still, years and years later. I wonder if your dad's side of the family knows that story. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I almost texted him when I was researching it. All right, well, it's my turn now. Yep. And my story involves stabbery also. Oh, good. There is a martial art called... Wing Chun, and sometimes called Wing Chun, translates from the original Chinese to English, meaning singing spring, and it's a southern Chinese type of martial art and self-defense philosophy, which requires quick arm movements, I move my arms quickly, mm-hmm. and Jesus. strong legs to defeat opponents. It's okay. sometimes noted as one of the martial arts that Bruce Lee studied before he later went on to develop his own philosophy as he was creating the Jeet Kune Do philosophy of martial arts. Is it kind of like Taekwondo where it's, like you said, more defense-based rather than attack-based? I think it is. Okay. But faster. Faster. <laughs> Way cooler than yeah. Taekwondo. It's super, super fast arm <laughs> movements. I mean, if you can picture Bruce Lee doing his super fast arm mm-hmm. movements, that's kind of the basis of that. But I'm just telling you this because it's background for the self-defense practice 
of Wing Chun that a Washington man named Alex Lovell has studied and practiced at times throughout his life after he obsessively watched kung fu movies. Mm-hmm. So he watched all these kung fu movies. He's like, oh, I want to study that. So he took some classes and studied a little bit. I don't know how good he was at it, but... That's fun, though. It's always good knowledge to have. Alex was 29 years old and living in Commas, Washington. For two years, he had been dating a 31-year-old woman named Emily Javier. Alex thought their relationship was fine, but he constantly offended and annoyed Emily because he was spending 12 hours every day gaming. Been there. (laughs) Emily complained about Alex spending way too much time and energy playing video games and that he didn't pay her enough attention. But with Alex being a professional gamer, it pretty much came with the territory. Oh. He had to play continuously in training for his competitions to keep his skills up and develop new skills and get good at specific games. Well, yeah, if he's, like, making money doing this, you got to let him give him time to practice. This is his income. Yes. She brought up the lack of attention that she was feeling, and she accused Alex of cheating on her. She demanded that he admit it, and she claimed that she had seen a Tinder app on his phone. Alex's response was that Emily was delusional. He said that he barely had time to see her being his girlfriend, let alone to sneak around and have somebody else on the side. Mm -hmm. Then Emily claimed that she had seen what she thought could only be sensual scratches on his back. Emily became more and more irate until the last straw, and it all came to a head one day when Emily found a long red hair in the shower. Emily's hair was dyed green. Oh, okay. (laughs) So she felt certain that he was lying. She had had previous suspicions that he had cheated on her. She'd spent two years with him. She was sure he was cheating on her. And in her opinion, it wasn't the first time, so she was pretty enraged about it. Then girl, just leave. She decided (laughs) it was time to kill him. Jesus Christ. Okay, she's lost me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the conclusion I come to also. She thought it over for a couple of days until she came up with her plan. She went to a shopping mall. She purchased a samurai sword. Fuck's sake, you can't even be normal about that. Let's be super drama queen here. She brought it home and taped it to her side of the bed. For good measure, just to make sure she had it all, all the bases covered, she also taped two additional knives to the side of the bed. Is this reminding you of anybody that lives in this house? No. Nobody around here has knives by the bed. Definitely not a giant ass (laughs) sword. It's not, it's a machete. It's a sword. Her plan was to stab him while he was sleeping. Christ. The preparation for the murder, from the original decision to the actual attack, took her about a week. On Friday night, March 2nd, 2019, Emily was already there when Alex arrived home. She felt that he came in and ignored her when he got there, so she decided this was going to be the night. About 9 p.m., she went into the bedroom, got into bed, still fuming, really mad, lay in wait until Alex went to bed. A few hours later, he came in and climbed into bed and drifted off to sleep. Emily got up and hid his phone so he wouldn't be able to call for help. And then not long after midnight on March 3rd, 2019, Emily reached down, released the samurai sword from where it was stuck on the side of the bed and began slashing at Alex with it. Mm. Alex began screaming at her, trying to save his own life. She cut him over and over, and as he awoke to the sword hitting him all over, his lifetime of watching Kung Fu, along with his martial arts training, triggered him to instinctively try to protect himself. She tried to bring the sword down on his throat, but he managed to grab her into a bear hug to prevent her from having enough mobility to do that. 
Alex later said he saw the look in Emily's eyes and it scared the living poop out of him. And that's him saying that. I would have said living shit. But yeah. he said living poop. <laughs> he told her that he loved her and she was killing him. He told her that she needed to call 911 or he was going to die. And then he curled up into a ball in a final attempt to save himself. The entire room at this point was spattered with blood. Emily had a moment of clarity and did call 911 to report that she had just stabbed her boyfriend. She admitted that she was trying to kill him and said they needed to hurry because she thought he might already be dead. Once police arrived, she met them in front of the home and told them that she had stabbed him, that they needed to go help him, and she was arrested and charged with first-degree attempted murder on $350,000 bail. Alex was rushed to the hospital, covered with so much blood that at first it was hard to tell what his injuries were. Yeah. I mean, and he wasn't wearing, you know, stuff that was covering it up like your victim was, but it was just, yeah, it, blood was everywhere. A samurai sword, that's not a small incision. There are no. huge wounds on top of multiple huge wounds. Yes, and, and he had deep lacerations all over his body. Mm. His Wing Chun defensive moves to protect his vital organs had caused him to nearly lose his middle index and ring fingers. Mm. All three were pretty much lopped off at the base of each finger. Fortunately for him, doctors were able to reattach the fingers, leaving his hand in a cast but intact. He insists that he was never unfaithful, but if her observations were accurate, I could see why she might have come to that conclusion. I think any person who's been cheated on and lied to is probably going to take those observations in a different light than someone who never has. But regardless, chopping your partner with a samurai sword is an unacceptable expression of your anger. And... Emily was rightfully found guilty and sentenced to 19 years for attempted first-degree domestic violence murder. So Alex had months of recovery, physical therapy, and medical care, but he came out of his experience feeling positive. He commented that, I was just so proud for beating this samurai wannabe crazy lady with hate in her heart. (laughs) He later gave another interview in which he stated that he had to wing chun his way to survival. And finally, in another statement that probably has as much to do with the fast and intuitive reflexes that a professional gamer would have to have. True. As the martial arts that he says he studied, Alex was quoted as saying, I have been preparing my whole life for something like this. So, was he cheating? Who knows? He insists that he wasn't. And even if he was. But let (laughs) this be a cautionary tale. If you think your partner is cheating and lying to you, talk it out, see a therapist, or leave them. Mm -hmm. Let's not get distracted if this story was about a man who thought his girlfriend was cheating, with or without justification, and then he attacked her with a knife. No one would sympathize with jealous boyfriend. In fact, they'd probably tell the girl, oh, no wonder you were cheating, he's a psychopath. Yeah. You know, so... We can't kill people because we're insecure. We can't kill people because we're mad at them. We have to handle things in our relationship, so we have to end the relationship. And we can verbally express our anger, and then we have to move forward in our lives. But we can't kill them. I mean, if he had attacked her back, Mm -hmm. she could be dead now. You know, they're going to be living it up while you're in the pokey if you go attack people because you're jealous or you're insecure or you think they're cheating on you. Yeah, what a psychopath. It's one thing if you just found out they're cheating. Now you're enraged. Now you're yelling at them and taking that on them. But if you're like for two years or whatever, you're just like, he's been cheating this whole time. Girl, what are you doing? Yeah, why are you still there? Why are (laughs) you still there? Because if he doesn't appreciate you enough to treat you 
respectfully and honestly, mm -hmm. genuinely, then you shouldn't be in that relationship. Especially after two years. He's not going to change that if that's still going on. And but you should never have to beg someone to be with you and to be faithful with you. If yeah. you if you decide as a couple that you're going to be in a monogamous relationship, then you both owe it to that relationship to abide by that. Mm -hmm. And if one of you doesn't want to, then that's the wrong relationship for you. You're 31, girl. Move and on. She, she was gorgeous. I saw a picture of her. She's just a beautiful woman. <sighs> she could have easily found someone who wanted to be with her. Mm -hmm. But instead, she decided to go all nutso and act like a psychopath and chop a guy while and he's clearly sleeping. she wasn't thinking about what's after this. No, because I don't <laughs> think her life in prison is going to be better than her life at mm -hmm. home waiting for Alex to get off of his... Game, yeah. Get off of his well. gaming system. So that's all I had today. People are bizarre. I know it's not really an uplifting story, but... It is. I mean, he seems like he's come out of it. Well, and we were really... Traumatized, probably, but, you know... He seemed like he was very upbeat mm -hmm. about it. He seemed like he had a very good attitude towards, hey, you know, I made it through this. Everything's okay now. But, yeah. you know, we don't tell a lot of stories where men are the victims, and men are also victims. So I just wanted to kind of bring that to light, that we are aware. We cover more stories where women have been victimized because mm -hmm. those are probably the ones that speak to us more as women. Yeah. But sometimes women can be bad guys too. So people suck no matter what. Last episode, two episodes ago, I said the world sucks all the time. <laughs> you know, every time. And now you're saying all people suck. We don't really think all people in the entire no, world sucks. No, just saying regardless of whatever. <laughs> there's, there's a psycho in every genre of person there is, you know? so Yes, every genre but not every person. So, the end of episode 26, you can find us at True Crime BNB on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can email us at truecrimebnbpod at gmail.com. Oh, and we had a kind of an exciting moment this past week. We popped into the top 30 mm -hmm. on Good Pods, and then we moved up to 19, yeah. and then we, we dropped back down to 60 for the month. And that's been really exciting. I have no idea how that happened. And we'll take it because we wouldn't be there if it weren't for you guys. So thank you. Yeah. And some of our great friends have also popped into the top yeah, 100. And I'm really proud of all of them. Mm -hmm. Spilling the Crime, Evil Pudding, Live, Laugh, Murder, M Cubed. And the one that you heard at the beginning, Creme de la Crime. And Creme de la Crime. Yeah. And Murder at Bedtime with London mm -hmm. and Picture the Scene all popped into the top yeah, 100. Yeah, it's so fun having our little gang just slowly oh, getting to the top together. And Murder on My Street. And Murder on My Street. One of our yep. favorites. Thank you to everybody and congratulations to all of our buddies who mm -hmm. are also experiencing some success after all their hard work. So Yeah, and if you want to find any of them, you can usually find them talking to us in our comment section on Instagram. <laughs> so go, go through that. And we share their posts and our stories mm -hmm. when they have new episodes. Quite up. often, yeah. Thank you very much for showing up again this week. We mm -hmm. always appreciate you. And for all the rates that we've seen go up in the past week, we got quite a few. Please take a moment out of your day to rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. And until next week, Crime Family, signing off. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Check, 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 look at Checky go. Check, check. Check, 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 check. Wow. <laughs> I almost said Penn Station, but that's a subway shop. <laughs> there was a nice lip smack. <laughs>
He told her that he loved her. I wrote he told he that he loved her, but it's he told her I love that, myself. I love myself. Please stop stabbing me. <laughs> but regardless, chopping your partner with a... Oh, crap. <laughs>